Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, for today's podcast, we're going to be discussing three equities in some detail as we do on this weekly instalment of the UK Investor Magazine podcast. And to do that, we're joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be back. So, as I mentioned, we have three axes that we're going to go through. But, Alan, before we get into those, I think it would be appropriate to touch on Bitcoin. It, it was uh, was a market, an asset that we were discussing um, on a regular basis at the beginning of this year when we were seeing quite sharp moves to the upside and um, looking at the reasoning behind that and what the market forces were. Now that we're seeing Bitcoin yesterday crash through um, 30,000 uh, for the first time since early this year, it would, of course, um, be beneficial, I think, to go back to Bitcoin and have a look at what's happening there. So... Mm. One of the uh, the main drivers, of course, there's lots of factors at play with, with cryptocurrencies and, and Bitcoin. Elon Musk being, being one of those, um, you know, other hedge funds being involved and in making comments can move the market as well. But this time around, Alan, it's very much a market that's being driven by the actions of China. They've moved to curb its use. They've told certain payment systems such as Alipay, uh, to stop using it. Um, they've put out some pretty stark messages that anybody um, seen to be flouting their new guidance will be punished severely. Alan, in your view, is Bitcoin um, doomed to fail if it doesn't have the backing and support of China? Well, I think this is... Uh... You know, frankly, it's a cynical move by uh, by governments. Governments, uh, you know, China's obviously made the first move, but uh, we had India a while ago to to curb the use of cryptocurrencies in general. I mean, the the one thing is, of course, um, it's well established that being a decentralized finance system, um, it's uh, it's a haven for criminals and and uh, and uh, you know other organiz- other unsavory organizations to move money around um but equally a lot of people might will take the view that um the centralized finance systems are are skewed uh, in favor of the operators um so so that so no one really th- th- there isn't really a fair and unbiased system out there um if there is one i think uh, the crypto finance uh, marketplace is is the best of the lot um but i don't believe china can curb it all it likes but i i think uh, cryptocurrency is here to stay. Bitcoin is here to stay. And we've seen these growing pains before. We've seen, uh, um, uh, we, we saw India um, ban the use of cryptocurrency um, or cryptocurrencies a few uh, a year or so ago. And there have been issues all the way through. And there will continue to be issues. But the fact is, uh, cryptocurrency now is a massive, massive marketplace. We've seen the emergence of NFTs. Of course, I've spoken about companies like Coincilium, uh, here beforehand, uh, uh, which is in, involved in producing the next generation marketplace for non-fungible tokens. It, you know, make no mistake about it. Th- this is vast and it's huge. And 
governments and organizations that are getting involved um, at various levels, um, uh, basically involving the blockchain. So um, I think what we'll, we'll see is a, pr- a process of evolution. We'll see, um, we'll see the, uh, the coins evolve. We're seeing all these new coins coming to market and rushing up to crazy valuations. So uh, I view this as nothing more than a correction in the evolution of cryptocurrency. So when we're talking about uh, cryptocurrency there, you of course mentioned um, blockchain. I mean, what would you say to a view that really that the most important technology here is blockchain and yeah. cryptocurrencies were just um, the early facilitator um, you know, product um, asset that, that was um, used by, uh, by blockchain and the blockchain technology. And really over time, I mean, over the last 15 years since Bitcoin and cryptocurrency started, we haven't really seen it being integrated into mainstream finance. Of course, it is being adopted uh, more widely there, but the, you know the, the notion of replacing certain uh, fiat currencies is, is still way off. So, I mean, is it really that Bitcoin was the, was the first major project there to work on the blockchain? And of course, everybody uh, has jumped on it, and there's been a big hype around around it. But do you think going forward that now people have realized, okay, yes, that's done and going to start to focus more on the underlying blockchain technology more? Well, I think what tends to happen when you get a new bubble emerging or a new marketplace emerging, there are always uh, one or two key players that emerge and continue to represent that sector. And I think Bitcoin was the original. Um, that was, it. you know, everyone's uh, all the... Fans of cryptocurrency celebrate Bitcoin Pizza Day, which, of course, is when the first pizza ever was ordered, I think, back in 2013. And it's celebrated every year. So that kind of, if you if you like, is was or marked um, the emergence into the consciousness of the general public of um, of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is still the biggest brand out there by, by a mile. Of course, Ethereum is a is a is is. Uh, is is a close second to that but um but uh, yeah I, I think um i think it's a step along the way cryptocurrencies are here to stay where i think there was an article in one of the well-regarded uk publications about govcoin um about governments wanting to get involved and utilize the blockchain process um, um as a means of um as, as an alternative finance system. And this is just one more step along the road. We've, of course, spoken about non-fungible tokens, John, and um, and looked at the ramifications of that and how that's evolving as a marketplace. But there are so many other potential applications for the blockchain um, that uh, this is, uh, I believe it's just a step along the road. But um, despite the crash in the Bitcoin valuation, um, it is, in my view, another correction, and we will see a floor put down in in terms of the valuation, and then we'll, we'll move on from here. Indeed, I mean, looking at the uh, price of uh, Bitcoin today, of course, as there has been some buyers um, stepping in, it's it's up probably around sort of thirty four thousand from lows underneath thirty thousand yesterday. So um, obviously, some people seeing some uh, some value there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out as uh, as things progresses and I'm sure something that we will touch on on the podcast again 
So let's move on now, Alan, to our, our three equities and the first company of which operating in somewhat a more tangible market than Bitcoin in um, Barclay Group Homes. Um, they have reported today um, quite good results on the face of it, Alan, but shares are a little bit soggy today, down about 1% currently. What's been happening there? Well, that, I think Barclay Group, um, as you rightly say, it's uh, and and we've spoken so many times beforehand about uh, um, about expectations in the market, and often it's better to travel than than to, to arrive in stock market parlance. But I mean, Barclay Group have put in um, a, a great result, you know, and this is this is from the a period covering COVID year. So yeah, uh, you know, full uh, full year results, um, full year results uh, show profit of. 518 million um that's up from 500 million or 503 million last time um and uh, the, the group said it was uh, its uh, profits were driven by the sale of properties that it had built worth more than 700,000 so um so that's that's well above of course the UK housing average so high value homes have driven driven profits and that could well be on the back of uh moves by People who were in the city um, fleeing to the countryside to, um, to 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 avoid the the uh, the worst uh, ramifications of the COVID lockdown. Um, said uh, Barclay sold uh, two thousand eight hundred homes in London, the southeast, um, and that average selling price was seven hundred seventy thousand. So I think we can see clearly why. And and um, of course, I think the question mark now is: uh, Will people continue to? Flee the city, and uh, I think they they probably will. Actually, I think uh, that trend will continue for some time to come. Um, I know living here in Seaford on the south coast, uh, we've seen prices here uh, go crazy o- over the past uh, the, the past year to eighteen months, and you know people are just moving in and uh, home, homes come on the market and they get snapped up almost straight away. So, so I mean that 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 looks set to come. That looks set to continue, um, and uh, but but the. Also, the company and its outlook said um, said uh, uh, it, it saw it saw a recovery in the capital once COVID restrictions have have been lifted, and of course, there's a lot of commercial property in London too, which um, which is which uh, you know the landlords of those properties will have um, will have sort of t- taken the battering over the past year, um, you know, because a lot of companies are unable to pay their rent or are, are considering. Um, uh, moving out altogether, so those are issues for for um, for the company to, um, to to consider. And indeed, the, um, the, the there are issues. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, Barclays Barclays Group has a very strong balance sheet and a strong order book. Um, it's got over a million over a billion of cash in the bank, so I think it's uh, you know it's pretty secure and, and well positioned. But um, but uh, it, you know the the London market um, I think will recover at some point, and Barclay Barclays does have a large exposure to that. So um, yeah, I, I would look at any any sort of sell off in the share price um, as an opportunity here. Certainly a very good chart over the past year. I mean we're seeing shares have traded just under fifty pounds on a year high and just under forty pounds on a year low, and here we are almost exactly halfway between the two. So. Um, a steady chart there as well, um, a good, good, good charting performance, and of course um, you get a dividend yield of two and a half percent to boot. So uh, what's not to like? Yes, fairly, fairly strong dividend there. I mean, and when, when you're looking at uh, Barclay Griffin and the rest of the house builders, 
I mean, how much do you feel at this point in time that maybe the timing of this release um, is one of the reasons why we're seeing a bit, a bit of a dip down in uh, in shares? Not so much because of uh, you know what's happening there with the company, but looking at the wider market. Just in the last few days, we've had some comments from Right Move that we're starting to see the first stages of a slowdown in the housing market. Um, house prices in June rose just 0.8% versus 1.8% in May. So obviously, things starting to cool off there. Of course, we're coming to the end of the stamp duty um, break. Uh, and we're starting to see possibly some more stock coming on onto the housing market. Do, do you think that there's an element of investors looking at, at Barclay Group and the rest of the house builders are thinking, well, you've had excellent conditions for the last year. We can't see those conditions being replicated and being as favourable for you going forward over the next 18 to 24 months. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think the thing is the, yeah, I mean, property sales in London, the South East are very, very strong. But um, but as the, as the COVID restrictions are lifted and uh, city city living city properties once again become more attractive um then that market will open up i mean we could we could argue that market's had a hiatus for the past year to 18 months so um it's overdue a, a recovery um i and also you know this given barclays focus in london the southeast where properties are at a premium there's a shortage of decent housing um and you know i know through our own experience we've got um, uh, my daughter um, and her husband are, are um, have uh, had an offer accepted on the house, but the sellers are in a chain and they just can't find a property to buy. I mean, there is a real shortage of housing at the moment. So there is an issue um, here. And I think, um, you know, all the while there's a shortage in supply, companies like Barclay Group, particularly with its focus in London and the South East, will continue to clean up. Indeed, indeed. It's going to be interesting to see how the UK housing market develops through the rest of 2021 and uh, one that we will be discussing again, I'm sure, on the uh, on the podcast. So let's move on now, Alan. So this is a company that I don't believe that we've discussed on the podcast uh, previously. We're certainly not, not within the last 18 months. Um, Altona Rare Earths. It's operating... Uh, in in Africa as as well as um, let's have a look here. Um, I think it's just mainly Africa, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, that it is Africa. yeah that's right, John. Yeah, 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 Africa. So um, there's been a lot from what I can see here in my notes happening there. What's uh, what were the main takeaways from that, Alan? Okay, John. So um, Alternarius is um, the epicode is ANR. It's an aqueous listed company at the moment. Shares are currently trading at um, at uh, 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 ten uh, p um, giving it a market cap of just over two million, um, which is you know given where you know mining and exploration companies are, and particularly companies engaged uh, in powering the uh, uh, new technologies such as um, such as clean energy, um, and electric vehicles, uh, yeah, batteries, um, new generation batteries, and so on. Um, it's uh, it, it's well, it really just values the the, the value of the entity and, and nothing more. Um, formerly, Altona was um, a coal uh, had some coal assets which were sold off last year, um, and um, uh, in at the start of the year it reported um, its year end results uh, a loss before tax of two hundred twenty eight thousand coming from those 
historic coal asset impairments. Um, and throughout the year, it's raised, it's undergone a series of fundraisings, uh, half a million uh, at the start of the year. Um, and then it's raised uh, uh, several more chunks since then. Most recently, 180,000 was uh, was uh, raised at the end of last week. Um, so the company has set out a stall now. It's um, it's engaged in 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 rare earths, as as the name would imply, um, and it is in the process of um, of assessing and going through the uh, process of due diligence, which, as the company CEO uh, uh, Christian Taylor Wilkinson has said, is is taking time, and it's taking time because they have a very exacting process and um, they want to ensure that all of the boxes are ticked before they actually make the move and acquire those assets. Um, to that end, they, they are looking at um, assets in, um, in Mozambique, uh, in Uganda, and also in, um, in, in uh, Malawi. So, um, so the three, three on the table here. Um, and to that end, they've engaged, um, they've engaged legal teams in each of those jurisdictions to help finalise this due, due uh, diligence process. So the first one is Monte Moambi Rare Earth Project and the Tete Province in northwestern Mozambique. Now, also on the board is Audrey Matupi, um, who's a CEO of System Logic Business um, in Africa. Um, she is uh, she's very well known in her field and is on many um, many other uh, the board of many other companies in that area. And Cedric Simone, who is non-exec director and geologist. Um, also uh, worked for Sederum Fluorspar and um, is on the uh, Kenya Chamber of Co- uh, um, uh, Chamber of Mining. Um, so the Monte Mwemri project is based on a former Fluorspar mine, which uh, Cedric Simone has been involved in, and um, uh, historically has had a 165 uh, drill holes um, uh, drilled at the project intersecting rare earth um, elements uh, on in at least four of those holes um, and there is a there is a, um, there, there is an asset there that's been established um, uh, not, uh, that, that there is a uh, the, um, uh, t- total rare earth assets there um, um, have been assessed at about two and a half percent of the samples that were taken um, and in regard to progress with this asset um, the uh, company is undertaking historic sam- um, analysis of the historic samples prior to the final decision, and we expect to hear about that um, in the next few weeks. The company has said it expects to expects to um, own and finalise all three assets by the end of quarter two, which of course is in, is in a few weeks' time. So that's why we're at the very exciting juncture for the company. The second one is in Uganda, uh, the Nankoma Rare Earth Project, which is 130 kilometers east of Kampala in eastern Uganda. Um, the, the, the issue here is um, there, um, that there is a staged, um, uh, in, uh, a staged um, acquisition process um, uh, undergoing, undergoing a series of due diligence milestones, which the company currently undertaking. Um, and uh, the the, uh, the, the this is uh, this is progressing. The soil samples again taken, and um, a geologist Gavin Beer, who works for exclusively for um, Alterna, um, is uh, is overseeing the assay um, the assay results prior to the final decision, which we we expect to hear 
hear about uh, very shortly. Um, we also, uh, with the um, uh, um, it, it, at the Nankoma project, um, there is uh, a project called the Makutu project nearby, which is owned and operated by ASX listed Ionic Rare Earths. Um, they have established a mineral resource estimate of 300 million tonnes at 650 parts per million total rare earth um, um, oxides. And these include uh, some of the key rare earths for use in military, green technology and battery technology. Um, and uh, some of the geo geological anomalies from Makutu uh, run through the Nankoma rare earth territory. So again, uh, we're very close to finalising that one. Third one is the Chambre asset in um, in the uh, southern Malawi, um, and this is owned by a company called Akatswiri. Um, and again, a staged uh, proposal is uh, on the table here. Um, however, they are waiting waiting for Akatswiri to confirm the Malawian government has approved its exploration license ahead of signing this agreement, and that is expected to come in any day now. Um, interesting to see as well that um, a couple of private investors, Paul and Catherine McKillen, um, own six um, six point seven percent now, um, having owned four four and a half percent previously, and um, also uh, last week, um, uh, sorry, sorry, at the end of May, um, there's a resource investor based in it's got offices in London, Johannesburg, and Perth, um, Mayflower Group increase its holding from 14.5% to 29.5%, just under the level at which it's, uh, it will be forced to uh, launch, launch a bid for the group. So um, so this is, the company is poised, I think, to um, to deliver um, a complete um, um, re-rating in terms of its valuation. And that will, I believe, be, ca be catalyzed by the imminent move by the company from Aquis onto the London main market. And as soon as that happens, I think uh, I think value will out because obviously the, um, the, uh, the 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 shares will be exposed to a wide range of investors who will be able to trade and buy electronically. So um, a very exciting uh, company, um, minuscule valuation given the size of the assets. Once those assets, of course, are are in its own ownership, then I think we're going to see this company make significant progress uh, going forward. Yeah, certainly sounds like an interesting portfolio of assets that they're working on there. But Alan, when you're looking at the, the company, you, met, you mentioned there the minuscule valuation. What, why do you think the market is attributing such a small valuation to this company at the moment? I mean, is, is it? I mean, looking at it, there could be, uh, you know, on the surface, they don't have any um, operations currently. So therefore, revenue is going to be uh, a hell of a long way off, potentially. There is also this... Um, um, element of them having to raise further capital and you know the uncertainty around that. I mean, which which one of those two, or indeed, is there anything else that you think is holding these shares back at the moment? Well, I think also um, I mentioned at the start that the company has these legacy assets, the coal assets. So there will be investors uh, still holding the stock that um, have an interest there, and we've seen the share price sort of pop up here and there. And uh, when that happens, of course, the um, a lot of investors may not want to be involved in rare earth, so they'll they'll sell off. So there probably is some ongoing selling pressure there. But interesting to note that um, that uh, the price last week was nine p, and the the uh, fundraising uh, that was announced on Friday was at twelve p. So um, so that's really 
uh, I think, uh, you know, shows that um, shows that uh, investors into the company, institutional investors, do value this very highly. And it's interesting that the Mayflower Group have such a high stake in the business. So um, be interesting to see what happens with that once we get launched onto the main market. Indeed. I mean, anytime you see a company... Um, able to secure a placing at uh, at a higher price than uh, recent trade is uh, is a positive sign. So it can be interesting to see how uh, things develop at uh, at Altona. I'm sure we'll discuss that one again on the uh, on the podcast. So let's move on now, Alan, to our final company of of the day. Now this is one indeed we have uh, touched on on numerous occasions on the podcast due to. Um, it's strong news flow and, and the developments uh, that's happening there at the company. The company's Mosman Oil and Gas. And of course, Alan, we probably said on the podcast last time, do keep an eye out for the news flow that's coming through from them. And indeed, looking here at the list of RNS since the last time uh, we discussed, and there has been a steady and quite comprehensive uh, list of updates there from Mosman. So, what. Uh, uh, what do they look like? Okay, so um, this is a company with a really strong spread of assets. Um, it's the, the, the principal uh, revenue-producing assets are its oil assets. It has a series of we, we, we you know, we, we have spoken, of course, previously about um, companies with uh, with with small uh, small oil wells that produce um, and can do so at a low cost. And Mosman is is one of those companies. Um, so the company currently uh, is trading at 0.18p. Um, it's up 36% on the year, giving the market cap of just six and a half million. You know, which is which is uh, you know I think considering the quality of the assets it has here is is almost derisory, really. But um, we've seen a year of 0.28 year high of 0.28p and a year low of just under just under 0.1p. So 0.18p, it's um, it's it's certainly uh, certainly some way off. Year highs. Um, companies uh, run by Executive Chairman John Barr, uh, formerly Aquarius Platinum, Thor Mining, and TNG. Um, Andy Carroll is the techn- technology director. Um, they have a series of assets in East Texas, um, and these are this is the the Falcon One assets, um, uh, uh, oil well, uh, the Cinnabar asset, the Galaxy asset, and then Stanley and Greater Stanley. Um, and uh, today the that uh, over the past uh, over the past few months there have been some production issues with Falcon One that have been resolved and the well is now back to production. But the company has taken a big step forward today by announcing effectively what is an, an immediate boost to its oil production um, uh, following the acquisition of producing assets in East Texas. Now the company um, already had a fifteen percent stake in the Stanley project. That's now jumped to thirty-five to thirty-nine percent. Um, we're also seeing a a, a production jump uh, to over twice the level. Production is up from twenty-seven barrels of oil per day to sixty barrels of oil per day, and the company's also acquired working interest in two other leases: the Livingston lease and the Winters lease, twenty percent, twenty-three percent, respectively. And that will uh, between them to start with. They will uh, produce um, uh, seven barrels of oil per day, but at winters there is another development uh, well that um, is is shortly to be underway, along with another well at Falcon Two. So uh, production is set to exponentially increase. 
Mosman acquired this um, uh, by, by using the, the, the their own cash generated from a recent placing and also from um, the the uh, from from um, uh, income from its uh, from its oil sales. Um, acquired uh, Nads Oil Co LLC outright for one point one million US dollars. Um, and uh, as I say, it immediately drives revenues to to uh, the bottom line. But it also means that um, all three leases, the Stanley lease, the Livingston and Winters lease, Mosman is now the operator of the lease, which gives it way more control on a day to day basis. So that's the that's if you like the cash generator for the for the company going forward, and it is driving the uh, the revenues uh, to the bottom line. Then on the the other side we have, um, the, and also the other side of the world we have the um, the uh, the the Amadeus um, Basin uh, interest in the Northern Territories in Australia, um, and here we have um, quite a unique uh, opportunity to uh, to mine uh, uh, to to, uh, to to drill for helium. There's there's a big helium asset in the ground at um, EP one four five. Um, it's an environmentally sensitive area, and all the permissions are in place. And we're going to see the um, we're going to see this this uh, this progress as as we go forward. Um, now, um, uh, the, the a note was published recently uh, on the uh, potential for the Amadeus asset, um, and uh, the broker believes um, the asset is unrisked, worth one hundred seventy two million. Uh, um, Australian dollars at present. Um, so as this comes into production, it could literally treble um, Mosman's current market worth. So it's actually a really good business model. They've got uh, they've got um, cash from cash revenues coming in from the oil production that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, bringing money into the, into the bank uh, um, every month. Um, and then the blue sky asset here, which has huge huge potential, which of course they will they will develop going forward. Um, great team, as I've already mentioned, uh, John Barr, Andy Carroll, and also the uh, geologist John Young, uh, who's with um, non exec director, also uh, with um, 25 years experience. He's worked with ba- um, Bandex Gold previously and Trek Metals. Um, and I think, uh, you know, going forward, we've got a, a really exciting opportunity for the company to, um, to both increase its production in East Texas and any further developments at EP145 Amadeus in Australia are going to see this go through the roof. So, Alan, we obviously touched on the uh, production there. Now, I was reading a, a report the, the other day um, from, from an analyst, and, I mean, there were you know predictions there from him that we could see $100 oil um, in the next two years. Of yeah. course, that comes uh, with a significant grain of, uh, of salt. I mean, if we did see that, I mean, how strong is the production at uh, Mosman that if we did see a higher uh, level of, of prices in oil, I mean, is that enough to get it, the share price moving by itself? Or do you feel that we really need to see some uh, some progress and some real results from uh, these development projects that they're working on? Uh, to start to see a bit of excitement and life coming back into the share price and, and see those higher valuations. Well, I think as I said at the start, the the uh, where they're operating, the the uh, the costs to uh, drill wells and get wells on stream is relatively low. So um, already we've got production, uh, you know, with today's announcement um, up at about 110 barrels of oil per day. But um, that's going to be boosted hugely 
uh, in the not too uh, distant future by by a, another well at the Falcon Asset and also um, another well at the at uh, at the um, the Stanley Asset. In addition to which, of course, we also have the uh, the Cinnabar Asset and the Galaxy Asset as well. Um, all of which will be coming on stream at at at, at, at some point shortly. So so um, uh, if the oil price holds as strong as it is at the moment, just through its own activities, which are all fully funded, we're going to see uh, Mosman increase oil production exponentially. And of course, if there is a is a jump in the oil price up to $100 per barrel, then we're going to see um, uh, exponential growth in Mosman oil price too. Um, and it, so, so you've got those drivers. And then, as I say, the blue sky driver is the EP145 asset because, you know, helium has, helium is a gas that there's a real shortage of. Australia is um, one of the bigger producers in the world. And of course, helium has applications in medical, nuclear and space technologies and demand currently significantly exceeds uh, current production. So so there's a real demand for this. Um, and if this asset can be born on stream quickly, as the broker said, it could treble Mosman's current uh, market cap pretty easily. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Alan. So just uh, a recap there on the shares that we discussed today. At the beginning was, was Barclay Group Holdings trading under the ticker of BKG. It was then Altona Rare Earth trading under the ticker of ANR. And just then was Mosman Oil and Gas, which trades under the ticker of MSMN. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, John. So just a heads up to listeners, we do have another podcast being released later on this week, uh, an interview we did uh, with the Chief Investment Officer of GXO, which is being spun out of XPO Logistics, uh, which is listed over in the United States. It uh, uh, has about a $16 billion market cap, uh, one of the biggest players in logistics in the world. So do check that out because we're going to be discussing um, a number of of um, things, including the automation, uh, automation, sorry, and uh, robotics of logistics. So very interesting and uh, do give it a listen. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.